If you'll turn or scroll with me to the book of First Peter, chapter 1, we're going to read verse 1 through 12. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicated when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. This is the word of God. Well, I don't know about you, but um, during that singing time, I think my vocal cords are... Are stretched, so we'll do we'll do our best uh, to now preach the word. Uh, he is risen. Excellent. Uh, anyone ever heard the song "Up from the Grave He Rose"? Good. We didn't sing that one this morning, but I was singing it in my head the entire time we were setting up. That's a good song. We got to bring that back. Cam. We got to bring that back. Well, it's so good to be gathering with each and every one of you today, which is Easter Sunday, which is our celebration day. If Friday is Good Friday, today is Great Sunday. Uh, it is so good to be together. It's so good to be singing together and celebrate. We're going to start with a little bit of a bleak picture. Uh, I want to give us an understanding of the world that we live in. We live in an incredibly broken and messed up world. Uh, in response to a Facebook status that I made this week, seeking uh, some input, I asked the question, what's the most broken and messed up thing that you think is going on in this world? Here are some thoughts from some of you and from some others, uh, in addition to some extra stats that I gathered up. People talked about broken homes or families. Someone said death. Violence against women. One in three women will experience physical or sexual violence. 
mostly by an intimate partner. The lack of clean water, which is one-tenth of people in the world do not have access to clean drinking water, which is twice the population of the entire United States, one billion people. Someone said poverty, the three billion people, half the world lives on less than $2.50 per day, and 842 million people went to bed hungry last night. Someone else said corporate greed. Corporate corruption siphons over $1 trillion out of developing countries every single year. Someone said hazardous waste. There are 80,524 man-made chemicals on the market creating 400 million tons of hazardous weight, which is the weight of 40,000 Eiffel Towers. Someone said child pornography and abuse. Someone said corrupt production and the selling of goods. Someone said the distribution of food. The U.S. could feed 800 million people with the grain that livestock eat. The value of human life being less than money was what someone else said. Someone said fake or false community. Someone said self-centeredness. Another person said the church not living and breathing what it was called to do. Another person said leadership. Someone else said slavery where 27 million people are in human slavery in our world today, and up to 2 million of which are children in sex trafficking. Here's some stats and the reality of what has gone on in the last couple of hours. In the past two hours, we've extracted 12 billion tons of resources from the earth, created 360,000 tons of household waste, dumped 4.5 million pounds of plastic in the ocean, and cut down 7,300 acres of trees, and approximately 199,000 children have been sold for sex, 100 people have been murdered, 456 kids have died of preventable diseases, and 684 children have starved to death. In the last two hours. Someone else in response to uh, my question said, quoted uh, G.K. Chesterton. Nick right here did that. And G.K. Chesterton said, I am. Well, let's look at that a little bit. This is an American stat, but Americans spent $59.1 billion over Black Friday weekend in 2012. The global porn industry earns $97 billion a year. Stop watching porn and you could save the world. One billion people don't have clean water, but meat production demands more than 200,000 tons of water every single year. 842 million go to bed hungry, despite the fact that we produce enough feed, food to feed everyone. And by the end of 2012, 700 million people will be medically obese. And here's a good one. The challenge to us. If church-attending North American Christians actually tithed, it would bring in $250-plus billion, and we could make a difference. Now, what's interesting about these stats that I read today is we're singing, He is Risen. We're getting excited. And what's fascinating about the text that we read today is the text doesn't run away from suffering. It actually runs into it, and the Scriptures do the exact same thing. They do not run from pain and suffering. They actually take it head on. Jesus, when he was here on this world, said, In this world you will have trouble. In John 16, verse 33, but then he finished it by saying, But take heart, because I have overcome the world. 
Within the text that we read today in 1 Peter 1, we're given answers to three questions. And we're going to approach them in three ways this morning. The first question is, what is the present reality of the world that we live in? The second thing is, what is our present hope? And then the third thing is, why and how is this hope even possible? So the first question, what is the present hope? Well, if you go to verses 1, or verse 6 to 7 of 1 Peter 1, you read this. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it be tested by fire. Now the book of 1 Peter is actually a letter Peter wrote at a time when the church was beginning to feel the flames of persecution. There's actually seven different Greek words for suffering located in 1 Peter and in this letter. And it's written to scattered various clusters of believers throughout the Roman Empire. Now to give you a bit of an idea of what this persecution looked like, let's look a little bit about uh, what Christians and the persecution they face under Caesar Nero. So from A.D. 64 on, ten of thousands of Christians were killed by Caesar Nero. There are literally stories of Christians being sewn into the skins of wild animals and fed to the beast. They were devoured in front of lions and in in front of crowds. Caesar Nero uh, had this practice where he would literally light Christians in hot wax in his garden and ride his chariot around naked, shouting, Light of the world! Under Caesar Nero, the church suffered tremendously. And when Caesar Nero died, after committing suicide, waves of Romans persecution rose against the church. And from A.D. 64 to A.D. 305, between three to six million Christians died who refused to walk away from their faith and their commitment to Jesus Christ. Now things haven't changed too much. Let's look at persecutions of Christians at present. 100,000 Christians die every single year targeted because of their faith in this world. That's 11 people every single hour. So if you got here at 10 this morning, by the time 12 comes around, 22 Christians have been murdered for their commitment to Jesus Christ. In 2012, Christians faced some form of discrimination in 139 countries, which is about three-quarters of the world's nations. 80% of all acts of religious discrimination in the world today are directed at Christians. And in North Korea, as an example, one-quarter of the country's Christians live in forced labor camps after refusing to join the national cult of its state's founder. So these are the trials experienced of our faith. This is who Peter is writing to. These are people that said, I don't care what form of persecution I face. I don't care if it's my life. Jesus came back from the grave. He is alive. And he is risen. This was their hope. So the second part that our verses look at today is what is our present hope? Let's look at verse 3. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. 
The language here is that we're born again to a living hope. Let's look at some similar passages in the scriptures. Ephesians 2, verses 4 to 6 says this, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. In Colossians 2, verse 13, it says this, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our trespasses. And the last verse here, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Therefore, what is the Christian view of the brokenness of humanity and the solution? This is it. We are the problem. Christ is the solution. And we must be changed. We are the problem. Christ is the solution. And we must be changed. You see, you and I, before Christ, are dead in our sin. We are sick without a cure. We are laptops without power cords. We will all eventually die, and we need to be saved from ourselves. Sin has corrupted everything. All the examples of brokenness that I talked about are all the result of the human problem and the condition of sin. With sin, we will all die. It will kill us. I want you to think about what's the worst thing you've ever thought or done. You see, no one is immune to despicable thoughts, evil thoughts. What is this in all of us? If you're a skeptical person, you don't believe in Jesus or the resurrection. What is it within you that makes you think things that you think, I, I, that's something nobody should ever think, regardless of what they believe? What is that? The Christian view is that that is your sin. So the solution, Jesus Christ changes us from the inside out. We are born again. Our identity changes. He takes our sin from us and changes our identity. The sin problem is taken care of. And he literally trades places with you and with me. Well, how did he do this? Well, he was both God, fully God, yet fully man. And he could take on humanity's sin because he was God himself, meaning he was also perfect, but he could also identify as a man by becoming a human being. In 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21, it says this, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. A couple of illustrations you guys ever seen the show uh, House Swap or House Traders? Uh, it's, I think it's an older show now. But people would literally trade homes with somebody else. So some of them were very tidy homes, and they would walk into a home that would be more characterized as a messy home. They were literally trade places. This is what Jesus has done for you and for me, and that he had the perfectly neat and tidy clean home. And he said, I will take your home, and you come and live in mine. Another way of thinking about it is a courtroom. And you are standing before the judge and you are guilty. And someone busts into the courtroom and says, I will serve their sentence because I have not committed that. The judge says, okay, well, I guess that, that can be done. You, you aren't guilty. You're innocent. So you can take this place. 
But that's not all First Peter encourages us with. Not just this fact that we are born again. The second hope that we're talking about here is found in verse 4 to 5. We're born again to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, which is kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Notice the language here. It's familial language. Because we are now God's children, we now receive an inheritance from him. Also notice the words that are used to describe here in comparison with the broken world that we live in. Notice what he says. We, we have an inheritance that is incorruptible and imperishable. What this means is it's not having within it the germs of death or deep-seated corruption. It then says it's undefiled, which means it's not stained as earthly goods by sin, either in the acquiring or in the using of them. It then says it's that which not, does not fade or unfading. It's not dimmed. It burns bright constantly. Then this beautiful gift, it's reserved, it's kept in heaven for you, which means it's fixed in an abiding state, insecurity, beyond risk, out of the reach of Satan, even though now we are not. The fact that it's in heaven where it can neither be destroyed or plundered, and get this, it's for you. No one therefore can receive it for you in your stead. It's your gift. So why does this all matter in the face of persecution? Well, then in verse 5, he also says that we are guarded as well. We don't just receive this inheritance that is coming to us. We're actually also guarded in the meantime. But what is this inheritance? And verses 6 to 12 tell us this. The inheritance is salvation. The fact that we are not only changed, we are saved We are rescued, restored, redeemed, adopted, guarded, and eternally secure with no fear of death and the weight and corruption of sin. Sin and death do not have the final word for you and for me if we are Christians. We do not fear death because we go into the eternal presence of God awaiting the final restoration of the physical world. So what was the thing that was Changing the perspective of these Christians is that when I die, I don't really die. When they take my life, they're not really taking it from me. I live forever with God. Because he's what? He's made me alive. So what does this salvation do for us? Is one, we are made alive. Because God has raised Christ from the dead, he has made us alive together with Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus' resurrection life is the very basis and means by which you and I are born again. Secondly, what this salvation means is that we are declared not guilty in the sight of God. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 17 says this, And if Christ had not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still dead in your sins. Jonathan Edwards says this, For if Christ were not risen, it would be evidence that God was not yet satisfied for our sins. Now the resurrection is God declaring his satisfaction. He thereby declared that it was enough. Christ was thereby released from his work. Christ, as he was mediator, is thereby justified. And then Martin Lloyd-Jones says this, If it is not a fact that Christ literally rose from the grave, then you are still guilty before God. Your punishment has not been borne. Your sins have not been dealt with. You are not You are yet in your sins. It matters that much. Without the resurrection, you have no standing at all. 
So through the resurrection, we are declared innocent before a perfect and holy and just God. And then finally, the salvation means that we are becoming more like Christ as sin is removed from our lives, which is what we talked about earlier in sanctification. Colossians 3, verse 1 to 3 says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, and set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. So that sin that you're struggling with, or that thing in your life that you are ashamed of, Christ gives you the power to overcome it. That thing that you're wanting nobody to ever find out about, the person that you think you are in private when no one else is looking, Christ knows about that. And he nailed it to the cross, and in his resurrection, he has the power to take it from you. And you're born again. You're new. So what was the result of this message on the early church in persecution and trials? This was said in 124 A.D., by a man named Diognetius. Remember, this is that, those people that were sewn into the skins of lions. This was said of them. They love all and are persecuted by all. They are put to death and they are made alive. They are poor but make many rich. They lack all things and yet they abound in all things. They are abused and give blessing. They are insulted and give honor. When they do good, they are punished as evildoers. When they are punished, they rejoice as those receiving life. They are attacked as foreigners. They are persecuted, and those who hate them are not able to state the cause. So the final question we have to then look at of this text is, why and how is this possible? First thing, what it is. It's because of the great mercy of God the Father through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Nick Law this week uh, quoted Cadesman's call, and I'm going to use the quote. It says this, Without thy sweet mercy, I could not live here. Sin would reduce me to utter despair. But through thy free goodness, my spirit's revived, and he that first made me still keeps me alive. Keller quotes uh, the gospel, brings it to this, and says, I am more sinful and flawed than I ever dared believe. And at the very same time, I am more accepted and loved than I ever dared hope. Isn't that incredible? That you were dead, but he's made you alive? That those things that you want to keep from nobody else seeing or no one else knowing or that thought you had about someone's wife that was not your own. He saw it. And through his resurrection, conquered everything. And then finally, the resurrection. So first we have the great mercy of God the Father, the God of the universe, the one that knows how many hairs are on your head or the lack of hairs that are on your head. For those of us with beards, he knows, I don't have one anymore, but he knows how many beard hairs are there. This God. And then the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. These Christians were so moved by the resurrection that it didn't matter if their lives were taken from them. So here's some realities. What if the resurrection did not happen? What would that mean? Number one, 
then the unbelievers, objectors, and other religions are true, and Christianity is dead. Two, there is no good news to share. Sin and death still reign, and you and I are not saved. Thirdly, Jesus is yet another good, but dead man. The resurrection did not happen. There's no help to us in this life or the afterlife. And then finally, the few billion people in the world who claim to worship Jesus are just gullible. And we should all essentially just go home now. (laughs) Sorry to steal an hour from your life. But the flip side, right? It's always the flip side. If the resurrection did happen, then Christianity is not dead. And your time here and the times in the week and your focus on becoming new is worthwhile. Christianity is not dead. Secondly, salvation is necessary and it's possible. You don't have to focus on trying to save yourself anymore. Christ has done that for you. He saved you. He wants to make you new. Thirdly, this present world will be restored. Everything that I've talked about at the beginning of the message of the brokenness of this very broken world will be restored when Jesus returns. You see, Christianity is hopeful about the physical world. It's good to enjoy the good things in our physical world because God created them as good things for you and for me. But sin has marred them. But he's going to return and fix it so we can experience it in the joy and in the beauty in which he created it. And that's only possible because Jesus is coming back because he's alive and he's risen. If the resurrection did happen, and it's the basis for our future hope, right? We can live in this world and experience the brokenness, but know that there is hope. We live in a world desperate for hope. Like, what a different, uh, what a different perspectives in our world. How do they view the things that I talked about? Every single uh, faith perspective, including atheism and secularism and humanism, has a perspective on why the world is the way that it is. What is the answer for us? It's our sin and Christ has been our solution and in the future we will be completely redeemed and restored. And that's what the end verses are talking about that we look forward to the fact when he does come back that we'll know him more fully. And then the next point of if the resurrection did happen it actually changes the way we evangelize. We don't talk about well you've got this dead Jesus. No, Jesus is alive. You look at some of the other big religions in our world, all, many of their founders, they have graves. They're enormous. Where's Jesus? Is? He's alive. Where'd he go? Muslims say that he never actually died on the cross. No, he did. And he is alive. And then finally, if the resurrection did happen, it gives us the opportunity to decide if it is true or not. Because if it's true, it literally changes everything. There's no halfway here. It changes the way that we live in this world with one another. It changes everything. When Paul was in jail, a question was put to him of how how must I be saved? And in Acts 16 verse 31, he says this, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. So I put it to you today, if you have never understood this, 
Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You see, the Christian hope does not rely on anything we have done nor will do and relies completely at what God has done in Christ for us. This is grace because it was left up to any of us, we would mess it up. You and I know this. If we're looking to a human being, solely a human being to save us, it's not going to happen. You need a human being that was also fully God so he could take the full weight of your sin upon himself. And then you don't need a dead one, you need a live one. This is grace. This is the greatest gift that you could ever receive. Life, eternally. So what is the hope of these Christians? The revelation of Jesus Christ. That regardless of what I face, he's coming back. Because he's alive. So what do we have to fear? Nothing. You know, I used to, um, there was a house two doors down from my place. And uh, it was one of the largest crack houses in the city for a while. And I used to always go over to the home and hang out with the guys that were in there. And the one fellow named Daryl, who some of us in this room know, um, I'd always go in there. And the people he hung out with, you could say, were a little bit scary. And I would go in, and, and they would oftentimes try to intimidate me. And I would leave, and Daryl would say back to him, I was like, you can't scare that guy. Now, to be honest, in my humanity, I was a little bit scared when I went in there. <laughs> So I was pretty stoked on like the reality of what Daryl was saying. But he said, you know, you can't scare that guy because he's not scared of death because he knows where he goes. This is the reality of the world in which we live if we put our faith in Jesus Christ. That we do not need to fear death. We don't need to fear suffering. Paul says, I've learned to be content in this world because I have Christ and he's enough. You know, when we're singing that song, Christ is enough and he's alive. We do not serve a dead God. We serve a risen God. And because of his risenness, it means that we are risen. It means that we are alive too. Well, this morning, we're going to sing a lot more songs. I hope you're okay with that. And while we do that, we're all still going to celebrate in communion. Because communion isn't just this thing that we do every three weeks. Communion isn't just a little bit of loaf that gets caught in your teeth and the juice never seems to fully get rid of it. When we take communion, we are remembering the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross for us. But we're also celebrating the fact that he's not dead. He is risen. He is risen. He is risen indeed. So what we're going to do... It's during this next song. It might be a little bit shuffled, but you're going to stand up out of your seats. We're going to praise Jesus together. And as you want and as you've confessed your sins, God already knows them, but confess them. Let, they, let them break your heart like it broke his. And then go back to our tables that are at the back for communion. Um, I don't see it there right now, so we'll maybe give it a couple of minutes for it all to get there. But take the next few minutes to ponder and reflect upon what Christ has done for you and what his resurrection has accomplished for you. And let's sing these words together. And then as I said, as you're ready, go back. I'm not going to come up again and explain it. I hope this is now clear. You're going to stand up out of your seats and go to the back. A few weeks ago, I was told it wasn't as clear as I should make it. 
what it's got to be clear standing up going back <laughs> all right i'm not going to come and tell you to go do it and you can actually eat it whenever you want i'm not going to then have us all come back together again and you're going to clear 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 he is risen he is, he is risen, risen indeed, indeed.